Hey, uh, I don't know about you, but this is a stressful time. This is like one of the most stressful weeks of my life. And uh, partly it was stressful because um, I didn't get through all the Christmas movies that I was supposed to get through. Does anybody feel me? Now everyone's thinking about all the Christmas movies that you did not watch, all right? And, and Meg and I got so, uh, we usually do this. We did not do this year. We usually have a spreadsheet where we take our open nights and we rank the order of, of movies that we want to watch so that we make sure we get it, all right? One of them that we did not watch this year was Charlie Brown Christmas. Raise your hand if you watched Charlie Brown Christmas, all right? Now, all right, we did not watch that, all right? Now, one of the amazing things about Charlie Brown Christmas is it's one of the few where they actually share the story of Christmas. Did you ever think about this? They, they get up and this dude Linus right here shares the story of Christmas. Now here's the amazing thing about Linus. Here's the good news for you. The thumb sucker and blanket carrier person is the one that has courage enough to share the story of Jesus, all right? So none of y'all have excuses because the dude sucking his thumb and driving the blankie is the one that was brave enough to share Jesus in front of all his friends, all right? So this is the good news. Now, what's interesting is that Charles Swartz, who wrote this, he has Linus share the story of Christmas, and he starts with Luke 2.1, which I think is fascinating. Luke 2.1, in those days, see Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This is how Linus starts the story. This is how Luke begins this part of the narrative. And it's a lot to unpack. And it's, if we're not careful, we can miss what's going on. Because Luke is making a point very clear. He's the only one of the gospel writers who puts Jesus' birth in a specific time. He's like, world history is happening. And he's saying, I'm going to put Jesus' birth at a place and a time because I need you so desperately to know that this is real people. This is a real thing that happened. And we can place a time and a place for this to happen. Now, not only is he saying that this happened in real time, he's also saying this happened within a political structure. There's a political situation that is happening as well. At the time of Jesus' birth, we know this, modern day Israel was under Roman control, right? And so Caesar Augustus is the first emperor of Rome, and he was one of Rome's most successful leaders, right? And, at, uh, and we see that it's the shadow of Caesar Augustus that Jesus' narrative is taking place, that the story of Jesus, his birth, Mary and Joseph going into Bethlehem, all this is happening real time. And what's interesting for us is that the word Caesar Augustus means nothing to us, right? Besides probably John, because he knows all about world history. Hey, men's group, we are actually meeting on Wednesdays, and he's going through the book of Daniel from 6.30 on. Well, prayer at 6, and then, and then we're meeting at 6.30. So if you guys want to go through the book of Daniel with, with John Vandergren, I highly recommend it, all right? But Caesar Augustus, for most people, would have been very, very powerful, right? You would have, you would, the early readers would have read this and be like, okay, this is a legit dude. There's power, there's might, there's wealth, there's glory, and there's authority. Quite simply, he's the most powerful man in the world at this moment, okay? And what we see is that he's so powerful that the Roman government and many poems written about him, they call him what? They actually call him the son of God. He's so powerful that they call him the son of God. And so in real time, Caesar Augustus is calling the shots around the world, all right? And so when you think about a person like the emperor of Rome, you think of power. 
Now here's the thing, holding power really is not that fun. It, it seems like it would be fun, but it's really not that fun, right? It's actually really stressful. And so it's an expensive thing to hold power. And so he has to call a census because he's got to count the people. He's got to know how many people within his empire are there because the government's going to get their money. Am I right? Yeah, that will preach, right? And so what we know is that the, the Roman government is saying we need to know exactly how many people are going through because this empire is huge and we need to know how much money is going to be rolling in, all right? And so he broke it up regionally. And so in this time, in this place, we see that it's now Israel's turn to be counted, all right? He's going to do this regionally and it's now this time. And what we see is that the empire needs to know how to control their people. And what's interesting is that God is using the powers of the day to orchestrate what he's doing new, all right? God does not work outside of time and space. He doesn't work outside of the powers and the structures of our day. He works through them to do mighty things, all right? And so the story of Christmas is that he's going to work through the time of Caesar Augustus to do a mighty thing. Now, what's interesting is that in your life, many of us, myself included at time, think of God as this far off God, this God that's, uh, that doesn't really care about me, that, that's doing his own thing. How could he even care about me? But what we see is that he's not a far off God. He works within all of our hopes. He works within all of our dreams. He works within all of our weaknesses. He works within all of our limitations. He works within everything that you are to do what? to do mighty things. And the Christmas story is this. And we see that Luke points out something intentional is happening here. Joseph has to respond to this decree. He has to take Mary into Bethlehem. They have to be counted. And Augustus' decree goes out in perfect timing to fulfill all the prophecies. This is what God's doing. Can I get an amen? amen. And so what we see is that Luke is setting up this contrast of kings at the same time. There's the worldly king and there's the eternal king that's going to happen, all right? In real time, with real people, God is using power dynamics to show that there is about to be a new power happening here on earth, all right? And so he knows, God knows that the Roman Empire is in charge. God knows that Caesar Augustus is growing an empire. He's like, hold, hold, hold up. I'm about to do a new thing to show that there's new power dynamics that greatly affects the way that all of us should view God. You see, there's actual a downward spiral when it comes to power and influence in this story, okay? Luke starts with Caesar Augustus, right? The embodiment of ruthless power and privilege. Then he moves to Joseph, a poor but faithful man. And then he moves to Mary, right? Uh, a young, pregnant woman that has to travel for this decree. And then he moves down to a baby. There's power happening within all this. We're starting big and we're going down to a baby, right? There are few less things, less powerful than a baby. Think about that, all right? Except maybe a baby that's born to poor parents that can't find an Airbnb in Bethlehem and have to throw them into a, a stable, right? 
Think about the power dynamics that are happening, because this is God. There's no more lowly position than this. And at the same time Jesus is born, the world is recognizing the most powerful man in the world, Caesar Augustus. They're having to change everything that they do to get to the census, to get to Bethlehem. And at the same time, Jesus is like, here we go. All right? God's moving. Completely surrounded by all the... The, the, Caesar Augustus is completely surrounded by all privilege and power and wealth. And we see this, Luke 2, 4, 7. So Joseph also went up to the town of Nazareth and Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. To her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. God invades our space. God invades our space, and he invades the space in the most intimate of ways. Look, Jesus could have just showed up. I was thinking about this. He could have just teleported in. He started his ministry at 30, right? He could have just shown up like, who is this dude? And Jesus walks around, and he has all the power and all the might that you could see. But instead, God decides to work through the natural to do the supernatural. I've been through two births. I have I've been at two births, let's be honest. I didn't actually go through it. Let's just be honest. And I remember the first birth, man. I, I was a nervous wreck. It was so bad that during both births, we had the same doctor. The doctor had to stop dealing with Meg and look at me and make sure I was okay. At one time, she brought in a nurse to get me to sit down and check my vital signs because I'm about to pass out. Anybody else there, all right? Hey, listen, birth is an intense thing. I've only witnessed it, but it's an intense thing. But being a baby is intense as well. From the beginning of Jesus' life, he can relate to you. He, he didn't just teleport in. He was born in the humblest of ways within a Roman empire to do two amazing things, okay? And so I want to hold these two truths together. Number one, to establish a kingdom that would far outlast the glories of Rome. This is a king that is being born. And at the same time, he comes to totally relate to us. This is what we have to live in tension, okay? The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, comes through birth as a baby to set up a kingdom and at the same time relate to you and me. Look at this. Caesar Augustus was powerful, mighty, wealthy. Jesus was more powerful. He was more mighty. And we know this, Matthew 28, 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority on heaven and earth have been given to me. Now this Greek word here actually means, this word authority, actually means the official right or power. Okay? So what that means is that everything here on earth, Everything here on earth, Jesus has the right and the power to, okay? So this baby being born naturally, instantly, has all authority, all right, all power to everything on the earth. And yet he still comes as a baby. The newborn king 
has the official rights and power to all things. This is who we serve, Colossians 1.16. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. Amen. Jesus, pound for pound, in the stable, instantly, is a thousand, million, trillion times more powerful, more mighty, more wealthy than King Emperor Augustus. But he's in a stable. He's born a baby, vulnerable, experiencing everything that you and I experience. What's interesting is that to keep power, Caesar Augustus has to tax his people. He's got to raise up mighty armies. He's got to have wealth. He's got to have power. He has to have control. He has to have all the political control that he can have. And Jesus instantly comes in and he, he's more powerful, more mighty, more wealthy. And what's interesting is God's saying there's actually some things that are more powerful than power, might, and wealth. There's some things that are actually more powerful on display that's happening in the Christmas story. Because a lot of us, if we're being honest with ourselves, we are chasing power. We're chasing wealth. We're chasing might. We're chasing respect. We're chasing whatever fill in the blank. He's going to say, God, God's going to say, no, I care more about these things. And what are those things? Number one, the Christmas story is love on display. Yes. If you ever wondered if God truly loves you, I know there's many people in here that maybe are on the fence about Jesus, about this Jesus thing, about following God. That, that's okay. Welcome to the club, all right? Because we're all figuring this thing out together. And what we see is that, Jesus, that God is showing love on display. And if you, you have to understand God's very nature to understand this line. And His very nature is being displayed in this story. God is love, so everything God does is in love with you, okay? So God is love, so He has to operate within love. All right, let's look at this. This is love entering in God's fashion, 1 John 4, 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. If you really, really want to know how much God loves you, think deeply on this. God is sending the king of kings in a stable to show you how much he loves you. John's saying, if you ever question this thing, remember that he sent his son, meaning he was born, he was flesh, he lived among you, he came into the world. And love always has a purpose. And that purpose, right here it says it, is so that you can fully live. If you've been living off of other people's love, if you've been living on trying to love yourself enough, if you've been living just trying to be good enough, you're completely missing it because God's saying, no, I am love. And this is how you know that I'm love. I sent my only son so you would have eternal life. And then he goes further. The Christmas story is laying down your life on display. We're called to lay down our lives as well. 1 John 4.10, this is love not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. This love move 
was not because your love was so powerful. Release that, okay? You can't out-love God. It wasn't anything that we did. He's saying, this is how you know what love is. That we, it's not because we loved him, but because he loved us. Take the pressure off yourself, okay? It was initiated by God. You know, when you think about your life, do you want power? Sure, yeah, everyone wants power. That's fine. Do you want might? I don't know. Do you want to get whatever you want? Sure. Do you want wealth? Who doesn't want wealth, right? But you will completely miss it if you get all of those or any of those three. Because if you don't understand God as love and God is laying down your life, you will never, ever be fulfilled. It says it right here. This is what the fulfillment is. And the birth story of Jesus is this on display. We would trade all of that to be deeply loved at our deepest level, wouldn't you? I mean, truly, to be deeply loved at your deepest level. To have the God of the universe send His only Son and here on that night in Bethlehem, that's what God's saying. If you've ever questioned my love for you. We've got a lot of new people in there and, uh, in here. And if you're old OG redeem, I apologize. I share this every year. But uh, one of the things that Marty, my father-in-law, has made us do is that we, to get presents, have to jump in the lake. Okay? On Christmas morning, to get presents, once you're past, I, I, my little niece might be up that age. There's a certain level. You have to get in your bathing suit. This is how we do Christmas. And you have to walk out to about waist deep. And then you have to go fully submerged. No hair can be dried. He checks you when you walk out, all right? Why does he do that? Why does he do that? I thought that when I joined the family myself. He does that because Jesus, who had all the perfect things in heaven, who was living pretty up there, right, chooses to lay down his life to would be the equivalent of Jesus jumping into a big, cold lake on the, in the stable. He's saying, I love you so much that I'm willing to lay down all that I have. Lay down all the power, all the might, all the wealth, all the things of my Father to be with you. The Christmas story is that. Number three, the, the Christmas story is intimacy on display. People just got a little uncomfortable in the Northwest. Intimacy is something we run from. Amen? Oh, I didn't get very many amens on that, so that means that we, we, got, we got shaken in, the, in their seats. <laughs> to fully understand the Christmas story, you actually have to go back to your origin story, the origin story of us. From the beginning, God desired intimacy. This is who He is. He, we were created in his own image. And not only were we created in his, his image, John 1 tells us this, in the beginning was the Word, meaning Jesus. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has, not, has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Now, no, you were designed by the creator of the universe. Again, Jesus comes in real time, in real place. This is a fact that Jesus was born. Another fact, you were designed by the creator. Whether you believe it or not, you were designed by the creator of the universe for a purpose. The creator of the universe, the most powerful, the most mighty, the most wealthy, you were created for what? For closeness. 
for intimacy. This is what he's always wanted. In Genesis, we see in the garden, God walked among Adam and Eve. He cherished companionship. The Father has always loved to share intimacy with his people. He's desired to love and commune with us. And we all know the story. Sin creeps in. You know, there's a, there's a divide that happens. The intimacy is fractured until this moment, okay? This is what's happening. Think about this. This garden moment where sin fractures and breaks intimacy. Under Caesar Augustus' rule, Joseph and Mary go to Bethlehem, and in a stable, intimacy is getting back into place. Jesus, who desires intimacy with you, who's going to give us the Holy Spirit, it comes through the baby to bring intimacy to us. Isaiah 6, 9, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah points to this moment 700 years before it happens. Isaiah is writing this 700 years before it happens. And he's going to speak that Jesus is going to have power and he's going to have might and he's going to have intimacy at the same time. Look at these words. He'd be a child. He's real. This really happened. He experienced everything that you and I do. He's flesh. He's walking amongst us. The child will be given to the world. And this humble child, the government, meaning all authorities on heaven and earth are on under him. And at the same time, he's a counselor to his people. He's mighty God and fully human at the same time. He will have the authority of the Father and he will bring peace. This is the Christmas story. This is what we are celebrating. The Christmas story is a display of God's never-ending love and faithfulness. Now, intimacy might be a great leap for some of us. Some of us, whenever things get close to us, we run away a little bit. We push back a little bit. We feel uncomfortable. I've learned this about the Pacific Northwest. Again, I'm a Midwesterner, so I hug and I love it, right? I hug all of you when you come in. And the Pacific Northwesterners, it's like, oh. <laughs> But at our deepest, we long so much for intimacy. We long so much to be known. We long so much to be loved. We long so much to be in communion. And yet we run away from it as fast as we can. You were deeply created for intimacy. And here's how much I know that. That God did this not because, not because of how you loved him, but because he loved you that much. God is love. And yet our sins and our past hurts and our family of origin, whatever it is, keeps us from intimacy. But the Christmas story at its very nature is intimacy. It's perfect, self-sacrificing love. It's a love that we desire so much in our lives. So here's my challenge to you. You can search far and wide. You can search within your spouse. You can search within a family member or a friend. You can search anything that you want in this world. And you will never be deeply loved like this. 
You will never have intimacy like this. You will never have closeness like Jesus is in your life. And Jesus is saying, I want this so much for you that I'm willing to come from heaven and bring heaven here on earth and to be born into a stable and to live all the ways that you live because he desires closeness with you. Don't run away from it. I'm telling you, it's the greatest decision that you will make is to say, Jesus, I put my faith in you. I put everything in you. I, I desire to be known at the deepest level. Reflect on the whole story, the God who had power and might to create you, who breathed life into humans, who knew you while you were inside your mother's womb, who knows every hair on your head, chose to experience your plight, chose to send his son to bring heaven on earth, to be fully God and at the same time fully human, to have empathy for you, to show his love, to experience all the pain that you right now are experiencing, all the ups and all the downs, the disappointments, the brokenness, the sorrows. He came into a world in real time under Caesar Augustus. And he did that to come into a world of brokenness, to come into a world of darkness, not a world that was just ready for him and he could just walk in peace. He came and he said, I'm going to walk into what you walk into to say, this is how much I love you. And at the same time, he takes all your shame, he takes all your guilt, he takes all your limitations, he takes all of your weaknesses. And on that night, he set into motion the God of the universe who came to experience you, everything, he now says, this is who you really are. This is who you really are. I look past all that and I love you deeply. Now you can fully walk in the light. We're going to try something crazy and um, there's a lot of people here who are new. If you know anything about this church, we've been in a walk for three years of just intimacy with the Father. I highly recommend it. And we've been working hard to be in closeness with the Father and at the same time build a church. And uh, we're going to move upstairs to do our candlelight service. We're about probably a couple weeks from meeting up there full-time, but it's ready. How cool is that? Yes. And the reason we want to do that is because we want to come together as a family to celebrate on Christmas the new worship sanctuary. We're still a couple weeks away from getting all the chairs in there, so you're going to be standing. But if you've been walking with us, or if you're new here, God loves us so much. Along the way, we've had ups and downs. We've had pains and sorrows. We've had bickering and challenges. We've had joyous moments of celebration. We've had it all. And God's saying this Christmas, I actually want you to go up there because I want you to experience closeness with me and he shows you closeness through all the things he brought you through amen 
So I want to bow your head. Lord, I know that there's many people here who desire closeness with you, closeness with you, that desire intimacy with you, that need to know that they are fully loved. Lord, we thank you that you love each one of us. And that every head bowed, I just want to give an opportunity that if there's anybody that's just been running away or pushing away or doesn't yet believe that wants to declare faith in Jesus I just ask you to do that right now if you want to raise your hand that's fine thank you Jesus thank you Jesus thank you Jesus so Lord as we place our faith in you as we declare you as our Lord and Savior that we celebrate you that you came and lived amongst us that you were Emmanuel God with us that you were born and that you walked the life that we walked that you experienced the ups and the downs everything that we did and then you laid down your life to even get here and then to lay down your life on the cross even more we put our faith in you we put our faith that you, that the cross is enough, that all of our faith, Lord, all we have to have is faith that you died for the forgiveness of all of our sins, Lord. We thank you. So today as we celebrate the coming of the Lord, we also thank you that you laid down your life for each one of us so we can fully live, the word there, fully live that we could experience life in all of its fullness. We thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.